Hi, my name is Andrew Ledbetter, and I'm here at First Baptist Church of Keller, where I am an adult Sunday school teacher in the A57 class. For the most part, our class has families with uh, kids ranging in age from infancy all the way up uh, through high school. So as we come together today, I'm honored to uh, look with you at Romans 13. So let me go ahead and pray for us as we come to God's word. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for that it is perfect. I thank you that it gives us uh, what we need to know about you. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us as we look into it here. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you turn to Romans 13, I just want to first start by thanking uh, Brother Keith for his sermon that recently uh, went through uh, the first part of Romans 13. He talked about submitting to the governing authorities, which is what the first part of Romans 13 centers on. And uh, I think that's a great introduction to what we're looking at here, because I'm going to move on uh, from the passage he talked about to look at the next part of the chapter. But let me go ahead and just uh, summarize what's going on in Romans 13 in the first part of the chapter, and that is that it is calling us as Christians to obey the governing authorities. So just to give you a sense of what that first part of the chapter is about, let me go ahead and read the first two verses of Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. I like what Douglas Moo, who is a professor at Wheaton College, says about this passage. He says, it is only a slight exaggeration to say that the history of the interpretation of Romans 13, 1 through 7 is the history of attempts to avoid what seems to be its plain meaning. And of course, that's never a good thing when we're trying to circumvent the plain meaning of Scripture. Instead, we should look into Scripture, see what it says, and and go forth and do it as God has called us to. Uh, But the message here is clear. We are to submit to the governing authority. And if you look at verse 6, that does include paying taxes. I think we can see why this is a hard message for people, because sometimes government asks us to do things that we don't want to do. And as we look at this passage, as Pastor Keith said, we do need to read it as we read all scriptures with the context of the entire canon of scripture. And clearly, we are not to do things that government might ask us to do that contravene what God has forbidden. So if God has forbidden something, we shouldn't do it, even if the government asks us to. My favorite example of this, perhaps in scripture, is that of Pua and Shipra in Exodus 1. They were Hebrew midwives that disobeyed Pharaoh's command to kill male Israelite babies. So this was the most powerful ruler in the world, considered to be a god. And these God-fearing women looked at his command and, and they disobeyed it. They refused to do it because they feared the Lord rather than Pharaoh. And in fact, scripture names them, but much to the chagrin of historians, doesn't name Pharaoh. I think that shows the, the emphasis and honor that the Lord showed to those godly women. And I look forward to meeting them uh, one day in glory. Uh, we also have the example of Daniel, who when the government forbade him from praying, he went ahead and prayed. So if the government forbids something that God has commanded, we obviously do not obey that command. But these are exceptions to the general principle that because God has established governing authority, we are to obey that governing authority. So as we move on from this section here to the next part of the chapter, Paul builds from this command to obey the government to illustrate a more general principle, to discuss a more general, a more fundamental truth that we are called to as believers and that is loving our neighbor as ourself. Now, I think as we move on to that, that forces us to reckon with the reality that that is not human nature. Uh, In our fallen state, that is not what we seek to do. Instead, we seek to exalt the self at the expense of others. My guess is you can think of many examples of that. 
in your own life and the lives of others. But one example that came to my mind is an example from the life of one of my friends. Uh, So I'm a professor at TCU. I write a communication theory textbook. And one of my co-authors on that textbook is another professor at Purdue University, Dr. Glenn Sparks. He's a mass communication professor, uh, studies things like TV and so forth. But uh, he has also written a book about his younger life uh, because his parents owned a donut shop. They had a donut franchise. And he thought there were many life lessons and business lessons that could be learned from that. So he wrote a book called Rolling in Dough, Lessons I Learned in a Donut Shop. That's a catchy title, and I promise you I'm getting no kickback from the book, but it's an excellent book. It's a fascinating read, an enjoyable read, and for those of you that have expertise in small business, I think you'll resonate with many of the lessons that he shares in that book. But he devotes an entire chapter of the book, chapter four, to one of the big problems they had in running the donut shop, and that was those that would try to steal from them. So he opens the chapter by writing, one of the major themes of the 20 years my family spent in the donut business was thievery. We were not prepared for this. We thought that thieves were really bad people who one was not likely to run into often. That proved to be the most naive thought we ever had. And the chapter goes on to talk about how suppliers and customers and even employees would try to steal from them. And he tells a story at the end of the chapter about how one day his dad was in the donut shop and he saw a lunch sack there. It looked like a lunch sack, a brown paper bag. So it looked kind of out of place. So he opened it up to see what was in it. I think he probably thought he'd see a sandwich or an apple. But instead, he saw a box of tea inside this bag, and he recognized it as a box of tea that was the kind of tea they sold in the donut shop. So I suppose at that point, he could have called the employees in and and interrogated them and made a big to-do about somebody stealing from the store. Clearly, this person was trying to steal tea from the donut shop. But instead, what he did is he got a small note, and he put it in, in that bag. And on that note, before he put it in, he wrote a paraphrase of Numbers 3223 which says, be sure your sin will find you out. So we just put that in in the lunch sack and left it there. Well, the lunch sack disappeared at the end of the day. Somebody took it home. And then the next day, one of his employees called saying that uh, she was quitting her job. She just couldn't work at the donut shop anymore. So either she felt convicted or just realized she'd been found out. Uh, But clearly a sin like stealing or any other sin we could think of is about exalting the self at the expense of others. And in our fallen state, that is what we seek to do. But love, biblical love, is just the opposite of that. And we see the clearest expression of that in Scripture in the person of Jesus as he went to the cross to take on our sins. And because we've been loved with that love, because Jesus paid the debt that we owed to God, he satisfied the wrath of God, it was a debt we could never pay, we are therefore never free of our debt to love others. And that's what Paul is going to flesh out for us here as we look at the next few verses. So let me go ahead and read for us verses 7 through 10 of Romans 13. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Okay, so as we look at these verses, let's go verse by verse here, starting with verse 7. Some commentators, given the context that Paul's been talking about, Paul's been talking about the government, given that context 
some limit this call to pay to all what is owed to them to the government. And if it weren't for verse 8, I might agree with them, but because of verse 8, I don't. I think Paul is talking about a more general truth here. In fact, I think verse 7 is a transitional verse where Paul is moving from this idea of obeying the government to talk about the more general call to love our neighbor as ourself. But this pay to all what is owed, I think Paul really does mean all. And again, that's because of verse 8 right after verse 7. He says, owe no one anything. I think that's pretty clear. Okay, We're, if, if we have some kind of obligation to somebody else, we are to fulfill that. And sometimes that is to the government. Certainly taxes and revenue, the things that we owe financially to the government, we should pay those. We should not seek to defraud the government of what we are owed in that regard. But also honor and respect are owed to the government. Again, it's not necessarily because they are honorable people in and of themselves. Certainly I and you can think of uh, probably many government leaders that we'd say that person is not an honorable person. They're disobeying what God would call them to do. And it's okay to call that out. Scripture has many examples of, of Christians that have called out government leaders when they are disobeying God's word. We, we, we can do that. We must do that. That's our call. But we should not speak of them dishonorably or disrespectfully because, again, as Romans 13 tells us, their authority has been instituted by God, and we are to respect that. And I must say, I become frustrated with people, including some people who claim the name of Christ, who speak disrespectfully or dishonorably about politicians they don't like. Let us not do that. We are called to pay them honor and respect because that office has been established by God. But we can also think about this truth in other kinds of relationships. We can think about what we owe to the government, but we can also think about what we owe to our boss or our coworkers or our employees. What do we owe to our family? to our friends, to our spouse? What do we owe to our pastors, to members of our congregation? What do we owe to the neighbors who live near us? Now, that could be money, it could be honor, it could be respect. It could be a phone call. It could be a helping hand. It could be a coffee meeting or a lunch date to check in on them. It could be a listening ear. It could be any number of things, but I think the message of this passage is clear. If we do owe something to somebody, we should give that to them. Uh, to honor them, and as we'll see here, to show them love. Now, I do want to mention the financial aspect of it here, because as we look at verse 8 and move on to verse 8, we often think about that application of the first few words of verse 8 in that context, to owe no one anything. Now, I, I agree with those who say I don't think this is a blanket condemnation of any form of debt, but I do think that it does indicate that as Christians we should avoid financial debt when we can. Uh, we should not be quick to enter into debt. We should be very slow to take on debt. And if we do enter into debt, say to purchase a house, we should pay that back regularly, and we should seek to pay that back quickly. So I don't want to camp out on that focus in this passage, but I think it is an important application of this passage that we keep short accounts financially. We take care of our business, and beyond that as well, we try to avoid being under obligation to others, and we fulfill the duties that we have. We're a good citizen. We're a good neighbor. And the root issue here seems to be one of foregoing selfish gratification so that we can meet the requirement of others. And sometimes taking on debt limits that. We're buying something perhaps that we don't need to fulfill some kind of selfish gratification, and that may limit our ability to use those financial resources in order to serve the Lord and to be a blessing to others. Okay, so we're to owe no one anything, but there is an exception. Paul lists one exception to this general principle— and that is to owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
So why is love an exception? Well, as we're called to love each other, let's think about the scope of this as we start. Given the context, Paul's writing to Roman Christians, this idea of loving each other, certainly loving other Christians seems to be in view. And I do think we have a particular call and urgency to love our brothers and sisters, those who are part of the family of God, those that are part of the body of Christ. We must do that. But I also think in this passage, we see that that must not be the limit of our love because in the very next verse, Paul refers to, into verse 9, uh, he refers to the command to love your neighbor as yourself. That's from Leviticus 19, and that, that may come to mind because Jesus said that that is one of the two greatest commandments. In fact, it's only exceeded in importance by the call to love God himself. And Jesus said that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, to love the Lord and to love our neighbor. So the scope here, I think, is not just our Christian brothers and sisters, but to all those that we come into contact with. We're called to love our neighbor as ourself. And the idea of this debt is not one that, hey, since it's a debt I can never repay, I'm not going to pay it. I mean, I think many of us, if we were told, hey, you have a mortgage, but you never have to repay it, we wouldn't, right? Hey, never have to pay off that debt. No, that's not the idea here. The idea is that because we have this debt, we're to be continually repaying this debt that we can never repay. We are never free of that obligation. We can never say, yep, I have loved you enough. No, we are under continuing obligation to love others. And why is that? Well, we're told here in the passage, because the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, you might be saying, wait, time out. I, I thought as New Covenant Christians, we're not under the law. And you're right. Romans makes that very clear, as do other books in the New Testament. Jesus has fulfilled the requirement of the law for us, and he did that through his substitutionary atoning death on the cross. He died for our sins. He paid a debt we could never repay. He took the punishment for our sins that we deserved. So now, because Jesus took that sin, took that punishment, God looks at us and declares us not guilty. When we have come and we have put our faith in Christ, he declares us not guilty. As Romans 3 puts it, we are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And that to be received by faith is important. We, we don't experience that reality of that forgiveness unless we come and receive it from the Lord by faith, by grace. Okay, so the debt has been paid by the blood of Jesus, that great debt that we owe to God. But here's the truth in this passage. The truth in this passage is that doesn't mean that we are now completely debt-free. We are debt-free before God in the sense that Jesus has satisfied the, the punishment that our sins deserved. But now we have a new debt, an ongoing debt, because we have been loved with that great love by God our debt is now to love others, to show that love toward others that we have received ourselves. And as we do that, that is what this fulfilling of the law looks like for those who are under the new covenant. So to summarize, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. He paid a price we could not pay. He has satisfied our debt to God. And now we are left with a debt to love others. And that is our call as new covenant believers. So as Paul goes on in verse 9, he lists commandments. Uh, you might recognize these from the Ten Commandments. Although I love the clause at the end where he says, any other commandment. Uh, I love this because I am the husband of a uh, former practicing attorney, and that very much sounds like how attorneys write. They write their contracts. Maybe you've seen this. They list a bunch of things. Then they have a clause at the end and everything else that might pertain. Well, that seems to be uh, kind of what Paul is thinking here. 
Uh, certainly, he had a lot of um, a lot of academic training, and perhaps that's in his mind here. Uh, but it also seems very consistent with what Jesus said again about the the first and second greatest commandments: that all the law and the prophets hang on them. The entire law has to do with loving God and loving others. And certainly, these commandments that Paul lists, well, they're things that are not loving. They are things that, again, they exalt the self at the expense of others, as does violating any other commandment that we can look at in the scriptures. And instead, Paul says, you know what? It's going to verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So as Paul casts this here, it's in the language of avoidance. It's don't do harm. Don't cause harm to your neighbor if you're doing something. And certainly these commandments that he listed in verse 9 would be that. If you're doing things that are causing harm to a neighbor, cut that out. Stop that. That is not loving. You should not be doing that. But again, as we look at the canon-wide context of Scripture, clearly loving our neighbor involves more than that. As Jesus answered the question uh, from the lawyer, well, who is my neighbor? Uh, You might recall that Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, and certainly the Good Samaritan was proactive in seeing a need and meeting that need out of his own resources. He didn't just seek to avoid harm, he sought to proactively seek the good of his neighbor. And if we look at the next book that we have in the scripture at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you go to the next chapter 13 in the Bible, we see Paul talking about The Holy Spirit writing through Paul, talking about love, what love is. We see that love is patient, it is kind, it always protects, it always hopes, it always trusts, it always perseveres. These are proactive things. So love certainly involves avoiding harm to others, but it also involves proactively seeking the good of others. So as we think about applications of this, I just want to mention a couple that have come to my mind. One is, I must confess, and my family might laugh at this uh, because they hear me talk about this sometimes, I think about my own academic research. And before you turn this off, and I think I'm just going to go off on a boring tangent here, let me just briefly say my academic research is about relationships and why we maintain relationships. And there's a couple of schools of thought. One is we maintain them because uh, we're seeking really our own rewards. We're seeking to get our own benefits. I think you can benefit me in some way, so I'm going to build a friendship with you. Well, I don't think that's a very biblical view of why we build relationships. Instead, what I've researched and found good support for in my research is that better relationships have what's called a communal orientation. In other words, we think of the other person as part of who we are, and we exalt their needs. We seek to serve them. We seek to care for them. As believers, we seek to love them. We love them with an agape love. We seek their good above our own. And again, better relationships seem to be characterized by that kind of orientation. I love it when academic research backs up what we find in the scriptures. And I think that often that sort of orientation, yeah, it may play out in the very big sacrifices that we sometimes make uh, to love others, but it's often more the day-to-day things. It's, am I going to step in and do the dishes? Am I going to watch the kids for an hour so you can get some rest? Am I going to mow the lawn? Am I going to check in on a neighbor that uh, might be struggling in some way. These, these little things, these little sacrifices can sometimes be harder in the moment perhaps, but they're very important to loving others as we're called to do in the scripture. The second application I think of is the time we're in right now. I think many of us have been around family and that's, that's a wonderful blessing, but you know, as in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, but at some point we're also with the same people and the same four walls for an extended period of time. And 
that sometimes can be fatiguing, particularly in a time when we're facing stresses, perhaps due to health, due to the economy, due to, due to jobs, due to many other things. And uh, that might tax our, our ability to love other people. So I would just challenge all of us, myself included, in the midst of a time that is stressful for many of us, this is especially a time to turn to the Lord and to ask him to give us this supernatural ability to show his love toward other people, to those that are in our sphere of influence. Because note this passage, it's, it, it's not conditional. It's not uh, love each other, love your neighbor as yourself, unless there's a pandemic going on or unless there's some kind of stressful situation going on. No, this is, again, a debt that we can never repay, so we're to continually repay it no matter what the circumstances are. So in this time of stress, in this time of difficulty, when perhaps this commandment is a bit more challenging than it is at some other times, may the Lord give us grace and strength to love our neighbor as ourself. For because Jesus loved us so greatly, he paid the debt we owed to God, we are never free of our debt to love others. Let me go ahead and ask the Lord to give us strength and grace to do that. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the love that we have received. And I thank you for this command to show love to others. Lord, in this time of difficulty we face as a nation and in the world, I know that we probably have many opportunities, perhaps because of this situation, to love others. I pray that you would make us aware of those opportunities, make us quick to show that love toward others, and give us patience and peace and, and grace toward one another in this time, and give us strength to obey this wonderful command that you've called us to do, to love each other and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We love you, and I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.